and welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about careers in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Amanda Fennell, CISO at Prove. Amanda, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm caffeinated. I'm ready. All right. Awesome. Well, we're doing this uh, relatively early in the morning, uh, so we appreciate you doing that. And I guess first and foremost, congratulations. I saw on LinkedIn that you just received a master's degree. Uh, yeah, it was a duel. I didn't find out till the end that they, when I was like putting in the paperwork, they were like, oh, yeah, so it's for two different masters. And I was like, wow. what? So, yes, thank you. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah, two at once. Who knew? That's great. What are they in? One is in information sciences for like library and archiving, like things like that. But then the second one is specific to archival studies. So this pulls in that whole like archaeology background into technology, basically. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. My, my mother went to school my whole life. I mean, literally when she was in her 50s, she got her master's degree. Not to say that you're in your 50s, but it always taught me the importance of education. And my kids, uh, one's just graduated from college, the other two are uh, in college and they think college is the end of your education, but I think it's a, it's a continuous journey, right? Yeah. For some people, they never even go and they hate it and it's not their cup of tea. I have like seven sisters and some of them not at all. And other ones, like we are lifelong learners. That's awesome. Well, everybody's got their own journey. So congratulations on that one. I got my master's uh, with three kids at home and two of them were in diapers. So it was a, it's a very busy time for us during uh, when that happens. So Awesome. So maybe we can jump in a little bit and just tell us a little bit about your journey of uh, becoming a CISO and how you ended up in cybersecurity. Yeah, like everybody, right? The archaeology thing. This is where we all start. I did start out as an archaeologist and started to go to grad school for that, for paleo hominid biology. I was like super into like Neanderthals and things like that. I started to work in it and realized it was not a very stable career. Like it's, and you also like live out of hotel rooms. I don't know why I missed that, that Indiana Jones was always traveling, but he did also teach me that you should teach and be in a professor realm as well. But um, started to look around for where I could be doing things that were very similar to an archaeologist who specialized in human remains, where I find little fragments and then I figure out what happened and who it was. And when I was looking around at a master's program at the time, digital forensics was a thing. And so I was forensic anthropology. It wasn't a far leap to say, what is this digital forensics thing? And when I looked into it, I was like, wait, so you give me like a little piece of computer code and I have to figure out who it was and what happened? Awesome. Like, I can do this. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I could do that. So it wasn't that far of a leap when you realized what your fundamental like core exciting thing to do. And for me, it's to solve puzzles. So I moved in and got a master's in that. And man, I gotta say I was recruited like first semester, I got recruited by guidance software and end case uh, digital forensic stuff. And it just took off from there. So that's probably not the journey to a CISO, but that was how I got into the career. If that answers that question well. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. Very interesting. The journey for CISO was like a little a little bumpy. There's like, cause you, you, nobody gets directly to it. I, I would love to meet a person who goes directly into being a CISO. Like they get out of school and go to become a security officer, but that would never happen. I think you have to earn your stripes. So I ended up going through several years of doing forensic investigations, then incident response, then managed security services. Then I went on the customer side. I worked at Zurich. 
And then I got recruited for relativity to be a security officer. So the ride there was to like earn some stripes and figure out how to do investigations, how to respond whenever everything hits the fan, and then how to make a larger strategy and architecture when you're trying to make things secure. That's awesome. And the company today, Prove, what does Prove do? Prove is actually like this awesome thing that I was not expecting, by the way, to end up at a company that does this. But for an easier way, it's uh, basically we authenticate who people are, right? Whenever they're trying to do something. So when you go to get anything like a card, like at Lowe's or you do um, something online, any of that kind of information that you might do, there's a moment when you put in your cell number and it just pre-fills everything, right? So it's like one of our products, basically, as an example. Our idea is that people have their cell phones for everything in this world. So instead of using the old school authentication of like something you are, something you have, something you know, we put all three in one with a cell phone. And with very high accuracy, we can determine this is the person that we believe they are. And we can pre-fill all their information and make that customer experience like super simple. I want to go to Lowe's and check out. I'm going to put my cell phone number in. I'm going to get a Lowe's card, be approved immediately within 30 seconds, and then push right through. Our company is the one that's behind all that. Well, that's awesome. Maybe we can jump back into kind of, you now teach uh, cybersecurity at Tulane. And what skill do you think the next generation of cybersecurity workers need most? There was a part when my career felt like it kind of stalled. You mentioned like the three kids and diapers and stuff. And I will say that there's a time and my husband at the time is a neurosurgeon. So he was working 100 hours a week. I'm working tons of hours because that's how it is in security that we work a lot. And I was like, how do I do something here that will up my career? Because I'm having to go toe to toe with like the CISOs at Walmart and, you know, Starbucks and stuff like that when I was at Semantic. And I needed that confidence, I guess I would say. So a lot of people ask me where that came from, because I think that's probably the most like obvious thing a lot of times. I'm super confident. I'm very approachable, very transparent about everything. It came from teaching. So I started at Capital Technology University. It's like an NSA farm school out of DC. And it started there that I started teaching like cybersecurity 101, started from there, built out, did threat intelligence and kind of kept adding on to it. Forensics, loved doing digital forensic classes. But in that dynamic of teaching, it taught me how to be a better person in the field because you have to be able to answer any question that comes at you. You can't control what those people are going to ask you. That's like number one. Every semester, there's somebody in there that knows more than you, like no matter what. Because a lot of these people are going back to school after a career in cyber, right? And they're just getting the formal education. So I think that it was one of my more favorite things. I started teaching there for five years and then took a break for a bit while I worked on the relativity security program a lot. And then whenever I moved to um, New Orleans right before COVID hit, I was like, I'd like to get back to teaching. So I went to Tulane and got involved in their program. Love it. Same thing. I genuinely just like to expose people to the reality of things and not just follow the book of you're supposed to go through this things. I like to throw people like from my team onto meetings and be like, okay, we're going to show you what Splunk looks like today and how you can tell that event log is bad. So I love to do this, but my most favorite thing that I think that people need in these day and age, I was like going into cybersecurity, curiosity. That's it. That really is the driving thing behind everything is like, just be curious. If you're doing it because you just want to make a good paycheck and you want job stability because you keep hearing there's so many jobs in cybersecurity, et cetera, that'll kind of come out eventually and it won't be the greatest employee. But an employee who's just curious is the one that will follow 
the dark rabbit hole at 2 a.m. when they're looking at an investigation and actually figure out what that event log meant. So curiosity is probably my biggest thing I'd say. Yeah. And the joy of the hunt too, right? It's uh, going on the journey and then and solving the puzzle, I think, is a part of the fun part of what we do in cybersecurity. So I know you have a story about a, a bartender turned security analyst. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the story and explain the traits and skills that make someone good at being a security analyst? Yes. This is an interesting one. It has come up before. So, because I had to sell people on on my team about this at the time. I knew someone who they went to college undergrad as uh, communications and they minored in computer science. But so first of all, I'm just going to stop right there and say, that's awesome. Like we need more communications people in the cybersecurity world. It's all about communication. Yeah. If you can't communicate effectively, I think it was like Einstein that said like, you know, if you can't explain it simply, then you don't understand it. Like that kind of thing. So communications people are amazing. And so then whenever this person was looking for where to go for their career, what should they do with this degree? I was like, you know, you should look into the cybersecurity industry. And so they ended up getting a master's at George Washington, as did I, in cybersecurity. And it's very much an engineering degree there. So I would posit that an analyst versus engineer is starting to merge quite a bit in this industry of cyber. And it's a little bit splitting hairs about the difference between the two. So this person then came on as an intern to my team. Now, to get through grad school, they were a bartender. And so they were getting the formal education, but they were a bartender the entire time. And so whenever they came in to Relativity, they ended up being one of the best analysts that we had that is now my DevOps engineer that I have here that I've like moved them from company to company and kept them with me. Because the inherent skill set that was behind her as a bartender was that she was really good at assessing things really quickly and running on instinct. And so that was... And she also knew whenever there was smoke and there was something that we should look closer at versus that's not anything, just move past it. So it really translated like regular day. And that goes back again to this whole conversation about like archaeology and taking the inherent skill set of a person. The inherent skill set of her, she does have curiosity and she also has anxiety, right? I think everyone in security has anxiety. <laughs> what if I'm wrong? It's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God. But um it leads to amazing results, basically. So her skill set translated the most was that she was curious, but she runs on instinct more than she realizes. And those two things transposed into her doing an amazing job for four years at Relativity. And now she works at Prove, also building out a DevOps program here. Wow, what an awesome story. And I think the, I think giving her the opportunity that she obviously then executed on, I think it probably makes a great partnership. It does, but I will say there's one slight hidden story here. It's like an Easter egg that doesn't come up very often. So during internship, at the end of it, the people were a little careful to give me feedback about her because they knew that I had kind of mentored her. They kind of eventually told me, they were like, we don't know if she has the skill set or not. After like a month and a half, they can't tell. She's very quiet. She's very introverted, these different things. And I was like, okay, so just put her to the fire. And they were like, what do you mean? And I said, so this weekend flip the switch and have her be in charge of all incident response for the company by herself. And they were like, well, we don't know if she knows how to get through Splunk right and query. And I said, well, she's going to find out. <laughs> Let's see if she can figure it out. Right. So my theory was like, put her to the fire. And on the other side of that, she's either going to be amazing, like forged from steel and things like that. And everyone's going to know it. And it's not going to be because I vouched for her or she'll fail. And we'll know she won't be able to be under pressure and do a good job. That was the moment whenever she earned the respect of the whole team. And she did it and she did it 
all the way by yourself. So I think there's always a moment whenever you get put to the fire and it becomes when you're really tested. Yeah, that, that's a great story. And I, I think of many times, uh, I love to help people find jobs. It's part of the reason I do this podcast. I also love when we're hiring people, especially when it's people that have worked with me before. But sometimes that dynamic of, you know, hey, it's a new opportunity. You know, the past is the past and this is a new company and you, and we all have to earn our stripes at this company. And just because I help bring you in doesn't give you any extra kudos. Like we still have, you have to do the job and you have to prove to not just me that you can do the job in the new environment, but you have to prove to a new set of employees that you can do the job. So yeah, that's a great story and and, and great to see you just put her to the test. Yeah. That's awesome. So I know uh, you're passionate about a topic that I'm also very passionate about, but you have an interesting twist and that's mentoring people. But you think about it as sponsoring them. Uh, can you explain the difference and why it's important uh, to think about this as being not just a, a mentor, but really a sponsor? Yeah, I think this is like an Eastern versus Western thinking of the term mentor, probably for me, that gives me a difficult time. Because I think in our culture in the US, we tend to think of the term mentor as like, I'm better than, I know more than you, and you want to learn from me, that kind of thing. And that's where I have an aversion to it. But there's an interesting statue. It's like in Tokyo, I think, in like a, a temple, but there's this statue of these two figures. And there's like a figure here and there's a, you can't see me, but there's like a figure and then there's another figure that's like larger than and bigger than and taller than. And it's called mentor and disciple. And everybody looks at it and assumes what they would assume. But in that culture, in Japanese culture, the mentor is the smaller figure actually, because they had propelled that person past them. And that is what I believe mentor should be about is actually propelling somebody to be better than what you accomplished and to learn from your mistakes. And so I'm great with the word mentor if people are going to use it that way. But unfortunately, in the US, most often we use it the other way. We're like, oh, I know something better than. And that's where I have a hard time because in those relationships, I get something from that as well. And I develop still. I have people I'm mentoring right now in my work, and uh, I really appreciate that time. So I use the word sponsor a lot because it accomplishes the same thing in my head of like, I'm mutually going to benefit from this engagement but I'd love to help propel you forward in your career. So fine with the term mentor if people use it the right way, I think, but I feel like we don't a lot of times. And I just, I think I come from a place of being humble about it. Yeah. Well, I think it's the big sister, little brother type of way that we couch it. I think that's a really good way to think about it. And I so enjoy mentoring people. And I've done some um, lecturing uh, at the university level, which I really, really enjoy but I, I think what what I'll remember most about this so far is is that it's not, I don't want to make somebody as good as me. I want to make somebody better and make somebody help somebody be better, not even make them. Like, and I do get so much out of that, right? And that's so like when people say, why do, you, why do you want to help 30 people get a job? I said, well, it helps 30 people, but it makes me feel good. You know, like I get as much out of it, but I do like the idea of not just helping the person get to the next level, but get better, you know? Be better than me. I saw a quote somewhere, somewhere that said, like, be the person that you needed when you were younger. Yeah. And I always thought that was such an accurate thing. Like, I really wish, like, I had had somebody who could have propelled me and been there and and helped and given me advice on a lot of things. So, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah. And I think the other piece of advice that I always give people is, when I'm helping them, is, like, they have to manage the relationship as well as I do. I'm going to be busy. They're going to be busy. They're not always going to be top of mind. I've got three daughters. I've got a great wife. I've got 50-some employees. I've got lots of people out there. So 
don't be afraid to be greedy with my time and remind me of, I still have to put forth effort, but be the one helping to really drive what, what you want to accomplish uh, so I can help you accomplish. So push me as opposed to wait for me to push you or, or make it at least symbiotic in how we try to move things forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great advice. Awesome. So, so last question, can you uh, share some names of organizations or resources that you'd point people that are looking to get into cybersecurity? Well, so the biggest thing I would say, actually, off the top of my mind, I would say the easiest foray or entree, if you will, is to look for different conferences. And there are a lot of free conferences, but there is no question about it that cybersecurity is one of the most relationship-based industries I've ever seen. Mm. So there is, it's like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing. Cybersecurity is any conference or engagement or conversation that you have in networking there's going to be a moment that the person says, say, oh, did you work for this person? Oh, do you know this person? I mean, there's just never a single engagement where that doesn't take place. So looking for those free conferences in cybersecurity, I actually am on the board of one in Chicago-based, even though I live in New Orleans, but I work out of Chicago. So it means a lot to me to get that opening for people who are trying to get into the industry for free. So there's ones in Chicago, um, every place I've lived and, you know, Phoenix and in New Jersey, New York, DC, there's lots of opportunities. So I'd say looking for those free conferences is the first one, or at least low income requirements, if you will, in terms of how much you would pay. The second part I would say is meetups because of that networking aspect. There are always tech meetups and cybersecurity meetups that you can do as well. So the networking aspect is like part one, please look into that and please dig into that. When it comes to anything that has to do with more formalized training, education, and things like that, I would just mention that the online programs that are out there are a lot cheaper than a lot of more in-person ones. And I still feel like they cover the same materials as long as they have the right accreditations. So when you're looking for something more formal to get into the industry, don't shy away from things that say they're online as long as they're accredited or like NSA farm schools and things like that that I mentioned. And the last thing I'd say about looking into it isn't a formal organization other than the term LinkedIn, but we are all so active on LinkedIn and there is no question about it. So reaching out those, you know, cold call reach outs that you would do to somebody that you say like, Hey, it looks like you might have this role open at your company, or I'd really like some guidance about this topic, et cetera. Most CISOs that I know would respond to that because we all want to help leverage more people into the industry. So just the cold reach out of somebody who's trying to get in and would like more advice, like you should do it. Most CISOs are going to respond. No, I think that's great guidance. And uh, I do think the events are a big part of it. And I'm an extrovert, but I work with lots of introverts so I can sympathize with the introverts. And I I encourage them to like think about how you get over a little bit of the shyness because this is an industry of relationships and uh, whether it's uh, two CISOs or working in the same industry where normally it's competitive and they don't talk to each other, well, here they've got similar types of attacks and there's going to be a lot of cross-pollination of information. And the same thing goes with you know, finding your next opportunity. And within this industry, it's uh, people recycle through different companies and uh, generally try to bring along people they've worked with in the past. And the last thing I think about is uh, just Ron Gula, the founder of Tenable, now a very successful um, angel investor. He just put up a uh, video blog post, which I'll share, which talked about preparation for uh, going to a conference. I think that'll be really helpful for people that have never been to a conference. Like, 
What are the expectations? How do you, how do you go to a cocktail party? Like all those little life skills that maybe people don't have, but, uh, and if you're an introvert, it might terrify you, but if you can get over a little bit of that hesitation, there is a, a, a world's your oyster when it comes to opportunity. Honestly, the introversion is probably the biggest thing we see in the industry. And I will say I'm actually like 74% introverted. But I would say this is a great mention. If you're going to be engaging in networking and things like that, do some deep dive about who you are as a person first and be prepared to know what your skill set is and, and what you bring to the table. So like I know for strength finders and things like that, mine is action. That is 100%. That's like what I double down on, right? I'm really action-based. Yes, I'm introverted. but And of course, everyone misunderstands that word too. And they think, oh, but you talk so much. It's not the same thing, actually. (laughs) You can talk and you can communicate effectively as an introvert. You just get drained about being around people after a while. So knowing when you're running hot, what that looks like and how to step away and things like that, like that kind of a self-awareness that you should be doing work on yourself before you engage in that networking stuff would be awesome. Like Myers-Briggs or the Strength Finders, whatever, know what you bring to the table. That's really great. And that kind of offsets if you are introverted and say, you know what, I know I'm super introverted, but I'm really curious and I love to dig a deep dive into things or things like that. I'm very analytical in nature. Be ready with that pitch. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Well, Amanda, uh, thank you so much for uh, being a guest on our podcast. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. I know I learned some new things today, so I always enjoy that. So thank you very much. And uh, I wish uh, you and the Proof team uh, all the best of success out there in in the world, uh, helping to make it a safer place. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. A reminder to our listeners looking to get into cybersecurity and up their skills, you can get one year free of our cybersecurity training portal, ThreadX Academy, with the promo code podcast. ThreadX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more by going to academy.threadx.com. Also check out a recent episode with my colleague, Neil Wetzel, Uh, where he talks about uh, being the hiring manager within our SOC and some of the tips and techniques for uh, helping to enter the field. It's one of our most listened to episodes until uh, Amanda's episode airs. And lastly, if you want to learn more about API and application security, please visit our website, threadx.com. Amanda, thank you again. Please have a great day. (music) 